this is going to be like the second half of uh, the message that you heard the first part of last week. And uh, if you'll recall, Jude is addressing uh, the people in the church of his day because false teachers have entered in. And uh, he felt compelled by the Lord to share about this uh, with them because uh, there was a danger and they needed to know about it. And so that's basically what we're going to be addressing today. Here's the problem. The church was tempted to say, what's wrong with just a little false teaching? Now picture somebody you know uh, and somebody that you like and uh, say that they start teaching something that you know is wrong. It goes against the Bible. It would be easy for you to ignore and say, well, you know, she's really a nice person. How can I criticize someone who does so much good stuff and who has such a good heart? And here's something I hear all the time. Who am I to judge? And I guess we need to do a sermon about judging. There's a difference between judging and knowing the truth. There's a difference, and we need to make sure we know that difference. But so many people will uh, just uh, uh, say, well, who am I to judge? Well, you don't have to judge. You need to know the truth. And if someone's not holding to the truth, you need to tell them about it. And this, we're going to learn why right here. I'm, you might go on and say, well, I'm sure my theology is off on some points, and it would be arrogant to suggest uh, that their position is wrong. So why waste time arguing over theology? And we've heard that a lot the last couple of years, haven't we? Why waste time arguing over theology? There's so much more important things that we should be worried about, like the poor and the victims of war and hurricanes and tornadoes. And there's an implied question that Jude, well, this is the implied question that Jude is answering in this passage. And uh, it's one that we need the answer to as we face this world today. The question is, what's wrong with a little false teaching? As I was thinking about this, I remembered a time that I was uh, visiting, uh, it was a niece of a church member who was in uh, a mental hospital for drug rehab. And as I was visiting with her in their uh, kind of a canteen slash rec room, uh, she, she was sitting there with a friend of hers, and this friend of hers was uh, there. She'd had some sort of a nervous breakdown or something. I can't remember exactly what, but uh, anyway, uh, she was uh, one of the people that does teleprompting on one of the major networks. I mean, and she was very sharp, very bright. And uh, she said, you know, so you're a Methodist preacher, right? And I said, yes, that's right. Said, well, I'm studying religions right now. I just don't know uh, which way I should go on this stuff. So tell me, uh, compared to like Baptists and Pentecostals and all these other uh, denominations, uh, what do you think, what would you say that Methodists believe? And uh, I made the mistake of saying, well, compared to those 
places, things that you've mentioned there, those denominations, I would have to say that probably you could sum up what Methodists believe in saying that uh, uh, just uh, all things in moderation. And she said, oh, so a little bit of theft would be okay. <laughs> and a little bit of adultery would be all right. And uh, a little bit of murder would be okay. And she just went on down the list. And I just, that's when I realized as a wake-up call to me, I needed to think about what I was depicting as what the Methodist church was all about. I didn't even have it all right whenever I was saying it to somebody else. And uh, that's, but it's sad to say, that is what a lot of people in the church at that time did believe. And that's one of the reasons why they were Methodists. You know, it said that uh, when you talk about, uh, start talking about alcohol to Methodists, half of them get mad and half of them get thirsty. <laughs> so, uh, because we, you know, we, we, there's this think and let think, uh, do and let do. And so that's just kind of what, just as wishy-washy as you can be all the way up and down. And, uh, we had to come to grips, and this is one of the good things that the turmoil we've been through has, it's helped a lot of people see that there is some truth that we have to hang on to. And uh, there's false teachers here today among us, and we need to, we've been handling ourselves in the right way as a congregation, we need to continue to do so. So he's writing because we're tempted to say that just a little false teaching doesn't matter. We're tempted to turn, and we did this for years in uh, our former denomination, to turn a blind eye to this issue and pretend that nothing's wrong. And there's still a lot that are still trying to do the same thing. But G Jude gives us here three reasons why it matters. The first one, false teachers are rebels against God. We should care about false teachers because of what they are and who they are. And who are they? The answer is surprising when you look at the Bible. Uh, I'd like to answer that these false teachers are really nice people uh, who just got something a little bit wrong. That's what we'd all like to say and think. But Jude answers by showing us that the false teachers are the latest in a string of rebels against God. In verse 5 uh, uh, to 7, he gives three examples from uh, the Old Testament of evildoers. First, the Israelites. God uh, rescued them out of Egypt. He saved them, and uh, they never got to enjoy the delights of the promised land because they refused to believe God. The angels are the next group that he talks about. The angels who rebelled against God and were condemned by him. And the third group he talks about uh, are the rebels in Sodom and Gomorrah who were guilty of sinning against God and who were completely destroyed by God. You don't get any better examples of God's judgment than these three. And it helps us to see that God is really serious about this stuff. But notice what Jude does. He's not just giving a history lesson. 
He's attaching these three events to the false teaching taking place in his day. In verse 8, he says, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Do you see what he's saying? In verse 10, again, he identifies these people in the Old Testament, or the people that he's talking about in his current time, with the rebels against God uh, from the Old Testament. And he gives three more examples and pronounces a woe to them. He says they're like Cain, who thought that he could get away with it. Now you look at verse 11, you see this. Cain was the son of Adam and Eve, and he committed the first murder when he killed his brother Abel. It's not a compliment to be compared to Cain. In uh, what way were they false teachers? Uh, why, why were the false teachers like Cain? Well, one Jewish commentary says that Cain believed that he could get away with whatever he liked because first, there's no judgment, no judge, no reward, no reward to come. Uh, no reward will be given to the righteous, no destruction to the wicked. In other words, these false teachers think that they can teach whatever and they're going to get away with it. That's what they think. And then he says they're like Balaam, the self-indulgent uh, Balaam of the Old Testament, the prophet for hire. He, he'd say anything that you'd like if you paid him the right amount of money. And he was guilty of laying aside God's word and teaching something for his own personal benefit. And then he says they're like Korah, the rebel in uh, Moses' camp. Korah was the leader of a mutiny against Moses. He was a teacher who rejected what God had said about authority and judged him by having the earth swallowing him up alive. You can read about this in Numbers uh, chapter 16. Has anyone ever told you, you remind me of, and you just waited for what came next? You were hoping it's going to be something good, like somebody that was handsome or beautiful or smart or something like that. You didn't want to be as like, you didn't want to remind of their cousin uh, that was doing time in jail for whatever, you know. Uh, it, it, I had this happen to me a while back. I was standing in line at a department store checking out, and uh, the lady in front of me had a little like, but she was about a three-year-old girl, and the little girl would run away and come back and run away and come back, and get a little bit further every time she ran away and came back, and then as the mama just kept on checking out, this kept on going on, and then I noticed the little girl didn't come back. And uh, mama just kept on checking out. Then she looked around and her child was gone. And so she just went into a panic. She didn't know where her child was. And uh, I, uh, I knew the child wasn't far. It was close by, but I had, didn't see it. But all of a sudden, the young man said, please just excuse me just a minute. And I was just pleasant and helped them look and find the little girl. And uh, so... Uh, and after that was all over, we came back to check me out. And he said, you know who you remind me of? And then I was there waiting. What's he going to say? 
and uh, they said, you know that TV commercial with the, the world's most interesting man? <laughs> you like him. So you've got a preacher that reminds people of the world's most interesting man. So, so uh, anyway, uh, I was relieved that that's what came out. I had no idea. And we never do whenever you get to that of. You don't know what's going to follow, do you? So uh, what uh, you just don't want to be compared to some sort of a rogue of some sort. And that's what Jude is saying in this passage. These false teachers remind him a lot of some of the worst rebels in Old Testament history. And one of the things, just to decide here, one of the things that we learned from reading this is that the Old Testament does have value today. It is a place to get examples and to see what the mind of God is, what God cares about, what he doesn't care about, what he really gets mad about, what's an abomination to him. Those things, it shows you God's heart. And so uh, we don't just throw the Old Testament out and say, oh, I'm just going to live under the New Testament because the Old Testament was Jude's Bible. The Old Testament was Jesus's Bible. And uh, the Old Testament was Paul's Bible. And they quote the Old Testament over and over again. So we need to be familiar with the Old Testament. And I must say, I'm always uh, convicted and helped to grow when I read through the Old Testament. I would encourage you, if you've been at skipping it, you're missing out. You're not going to be able to understand what they're really saying about holiness in the New Testament if you don't read about it in the Old Testament. So uh, uh, these false teachers remind Jude a lot of some of these Old Testament rebels. And so in the body of his letter, we find Jude stepping through layers of time and grabbing hold of historical events and examples in groups of three and pulling them into the present day and applying them in the first person. And all of this under divine authority. These guys are those guys. Ancient archetypes are walking around in our world. They have come to life again they only have different names. And the same, brothers and sisters, is true today. We need to think about this. Jude is telling us that these guys that he's uh, pointed to are still around today. And this should be very sobering. Uh, and you, you may ask, oh, what's the big deal about false teachers? Well, Jude takes us through a rogues gallery of false teachers and says that this line of rebels lives on. And it's a big deal to God. It's nothing for us to take lightly. So the first thing is that uh, these particular false teachers, they're rebels against God. Next thing, false teachers will be judged you get the impression that these false leaders that Jude writes about were over, overstepping their bound because they didn't think that they're going to have to answer for it. Jude is being very clear 
These false teachers are rebels, just like the ones we read about in the Old Testament. And God will judge, just as he did in the desert generation, the angels that sinned, and Sodom and Gomorrah. He will judge. In Numbers 32:23, it says that we can be sure that our sin will find us out. False teachers may think they're going to get away with it, but we all know that God will have the last word when it comes to false teaching and every other sin. If we believe in judgment, it changes everything. Charlie, or well, Charlie Peace, uh, a notorious thief and murderer back in the 1880s in England, listened to a sermon on the day that he was going to be executed. The preacher was talking about heaven and hell. And Charlie Peace said, Sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say, and even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. If you believe what Jude is saying about judgment, about the judgment of false teachers, it changes everything. Jude is answering the question, what's so bad about false teaching? And he's saying they're rebels. They're going to be judged. And one last thing, false teachers are a danger. They're a danger to your soul. They're a danger to where you're going to spend eternity if you embrace what they're saying instead of embracing what God's word says. Jude writes in verses 12 and 13, These are hidden reefs in your love feasts as they feast with, that, with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Jude is saying that uh, we're saying two different things here. First, he's saying that these people aren't helping the church at all. All they're doing is helping themselves to something that they're getting through the church. They're waterless clouds. They're fruitless trees. They're like stars that keep changing their course so that you can't navigate by them. These people promise a lot, but they don't give a thing that's worth having. But it gets worse. He says these false teachers actually do harm. These are hidden reefs in your love feasts. Back then, the church held communion uh, in the middle of a potluck-style meal. Jude says that uh, these false teachers are dangerous to the community. Hidden reefs underwater sink ships. You don't want to go anywhere near them. And these teachers are dangerous to have around. And this is hard. I'm sure that people who uh, got this letter were surprised 
these false teachers were probably very nice guys in their midst. And what's so bad about a little false teaching? Jude says, it's a problem. These false teachers are rebels. They're going to be judged and they're dangerous. False teaching is a very big deal. And that's why Jude writes, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salute salvation, I find it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So see the dangers of false teaching. Realize its danger, but also remember why it's important. It's important because there is a faith once and all once and for all, delivered to the saints. It is a faith worth contending for earnestly. And that's what we remember this morning as we come to the Lord's table, that this is a faith worth contending for because we have discovered that it is true. We have discovered that uh, when, when uh, it says in John, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We believe that when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. We believe that. And that's the common faith that shared. We join together in saying Christ has died Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And that's what we look forward to is his coming again. And we continue to look forward to his coming again every time we gather around his table, remembering his promise that he's coming back. And when he comes back, it's going to be good for us if we haven't fallen victim to false teachers. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.